Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about how building a capable internal team and reducing an over-reliance on agency equals more revenue for the organization as a whole. So why this topic, especially considering I spent the last 10 years in agencies? We've seen companies often focus on pushing sales organizations harder and to generate more revenue. Uh, There's often a lot of focus inside of companies to get more out of the salespeople they have. And this is a viable approach, but it's far from the only plan of attack. Over the last five years, we've seen an increase in marketing and services agencies, and they aren't cheap, even if the services they provide are seen as critical. In order to tackle that topic today, we want to talk about how building that internal capability is not only worth the investment, but can also increase revenue. And to do that, we have with us Yurka Marasek, Chief Marketing Officer of the AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, which is one of the largest um, pilots organizations in the world with over 350,000 members globally. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Before we jump into kind of the background on everything, we like to start with a question, uh, give our audience, you know, kind of a better understanding of people that we're talking to. And so we'd like to look at, you know, a defining moment in your career, your life uh, that maybe changed the trajectory of where you went or something that you took lessons away from that you go back to time and time again. And if you could just share what that was and those lessons that you took away with us, we'd start there. All right, that's fair. Uh, you know, and, and since uh, we clear, I didn't clearly see the question ahead of time, I was thinking about it. And, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, the one that comes to mind, and it's been coming to mind more often than not recently, I'm not sure why, uh, in my career is a few years ago, I was working in uh, Shanghai in China, setting up a uh, new sales and marketing organization there. And uh, the uh, gentleman uh, that was uh, uh, my partner in crime on setting up the team and uh, getting the project started. Uh, I had more background in that market, and uh, we were talking about how you know how to get things accomplished. And he made this, uh, told me the story about a dinner at a restaurant that really, it's funny how it applies in other places besides China, uh, and how it kind of applies of how how to think about things. Said so he he was telling me a story where he went to a restaurant and he you know, had a great dinner with a couple of people, and uh, they he wanted to get um, uh, pie with a scoop of ice cream on it. And the menu had pie and ice cream and other desserts, but they didn't have pie with ice cream. And when he asked for pie with a ball of ice cream on it, he created a bit of a stir in the restaurant because <laughs> you just, you know, in that culture, you don't, it just, you don't, you do not ask for something that's on the, not on the menu. The manager got involved and clearly, you know, he wasn't getting what he wanted until he realized that he could just order both and put one on top of the other. <laughs> Just order pie and ice cream and dump one on top of the other. The outcome is the same, but you create a lot less friction along the way. And he he equated that to doing business in China. And I think what I took from that is uh, it actually applies everywhere where uh, if you're so focused on the outcome, you kind of forget that there might be creative ways of getting there that may not be very obvious. And there might be a roundabout way to get there. but if you're way too focused on what do you want to get at at the end, uh, you sometimes you know lose creativity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, doing business I, I, is interesting. 
Exactly. Well, and you know, and, and it doesn't apply. It really has been applying in a lot of places for me lately. Is you know, if, if you get so hard set on, hey, you know, we need to get this accomplished by the end of the year, and we need we need to get there, you almost lose creativity. You lose focus on how to get there, and the blinders go on. And you know, while this this lesson came out of the Chinese market, it applies in so many places where we have that bad. I think that bad behavior, having awareness that we are all have that bad behavior, of you know, get stressed out about the outcome and forget how to get there uh, has really uh, being cognizant of that has really helped me recently just to think about that and take a stop, you know, stop, stop thinking about, you know, where we need to be in a year and to figure out a creative path of getting, getting there. Uh, and sometimes you just have to order pie and ice cream separately. <laughs> it's amazing how we often miss the forest for the trees. Right. And you, when you think about it, when right. you get to the end of that story, Right. Well, yeah, I mean, when you get to the end of that story, I mean, it, you go, well, yeah, it's obvious. But even me sitting here listening as you're telling the story, I'm thinking, well, man, how's he going to get that done? Well, it becomes like an almost, well, duh, kind of moment. Like if you just slow down, there are other ways to accomplish the same goals, like you said, to create less friction. Right, right, right. And, you know, I, um, in my role, I would say I'm a junior at the, uh, at the executive game by far. You know, there are people with much, much more experience than me. And, and early on, I, it was a bit of a, you know, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of things, a lot of divisions, a lot of departments, a lot of products, a lot of objectives. Uh, and realizing that sometimes you do have to slow down and focus on the alternative ways of getting to the end game. But you ask a defining moment that that thing has, has helped me along the way. Excellent. Excellent. Perfect. Thank you very much for that. So now let's give uh, listeners a little bit more context around the AOPA and your role there. All right. Uh, well, AOPA, uh, it's a bit of a diversified organization, uh, as I would call it. Uh, you know, on, on, on its uh, surface, you know, when you spell out the name or you know, say what AOPA stands for, Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, uh, the perception might be of uh, sort of a nonprofit in D.C. Uh, and it's actually quite the contrary. I think we have a lot more in common with the Harley Davidson Owners Group. Uh, than we do with uh, the, now the you're Realtors Association. My language. Now you're speaking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're a, an organization that is a center of a, a lifestyle that is second to none with the amount of passion and excitement that our customers uh, and just the entire community of aviators have about what they do day in, day out. You know, we're in the private side of aviation. So it's everything from, you know, guys and gals flying upside down in aerobatics on the weekends uh, to families taking their private aircraft to Bahamas and everything in between. And there's there's a tremendous amount of passion and excitement. And that's why we, and I actually have a lot of background in the uh, in the motorcycle side of things as well. Uh, and I draw on that a lot as we, you know, position our brand and look at our products as, you know, first and foremost, we are in a passion lifestyle business and second we are in all the other stuff that we need to get done and we clearly have a a strong advocacy team in washington dc our foundation is doing incredible things in stem education and other things Uh, and my team and really my responsibility is what i call the cold cold heart capitalists Uh, you know, we, we are the organization that uh, is responsible to, uh, over everything from our insurance business, finance business, uh, legal legal products, uh, you know, apparel, membership, uh, and clearly media revenue, making sure that, that those businesses are healthy and growing. Okay, excellent, excellent. So today we want to talk about the decision to bring that you made to bring you know marketing internally to reduce the reliance on agencies. And I have a feeling that that passion, that passion lifestyle that you mentioned, it was a key to that. But can you kind of break down what you know what 
led to that decision and why you felt it would be more advantageous for the organization? You know, when I uh, started and I got uh, the Mark Baker that leads the organization and my boss started uh, eight, uh, maybe uh, less than a year before I did, he got into the role uh, and hired me and a couple of other executives really to uh, move the organization to the next level. And uh, based on him and I uh, having some conversations even before I started, we were very much aligned on the fact that the organization has a lot of opportunity uh, to be the core lifestyle brand of aviation. Because the one thing that we're missing in this, in, in our industry particularly is the likes of Harley Davidson. There is not a manufacturer of uh, airplanes that is a passion brand. So we need to be the passion brand, the place of belonging. Um, and when I came in, uh, we really did not have a strong marketing department. We had a strong media group uh, that drew a lot of the media revenue. We had a strong membership group. Uh, but then we, uh, what I would say, committed random acts of marketing <laughs> within all within the many different divisions, right? So the insurance group, the uh, the finance group, our, our, our publications, really everybody was doing what, really essentially anything they wanted. And the un, un, only commonality, and even that sometimes was with some modifications, was the old AOPA Wings logo somewhere involved, uh, or AOPA being uh, sort of the umbrella name of the organization. Uh, so it was, it was really, really kind of torn and inconsistent, both in terms of experience, but also in terms of you know, quality, response rates, um, effectiveness, all of those things. So when I came in, and Mark and I have had, had long discussions on how to position the organization for success. And one of the things was, you know, we need a strong core team that is in here day in, day out, cares about the business, shares the goals with all the business units, uh, and is 100% focused on making sure that we are a lifestyle brand and what the product is, is almost secondary. Clearly, the products are incredibly important. That's the, that's the revenue driver. Uh, but the leading indi- indicator of being a, the only place that a pilot thinks of when they need anything from training to things on the ground to things in the air, they come to us because we are, the, in the end, the largest community of pilots in the world. And, and so, you know, how did that come about? I mean, that's a big kind of shift. I mean, when I think of when I think of AOPA and compare it, like I said, to Harley Owners Group, I obviously I'm a, I'm a Harley guy. I'm a member of, of Hog. I've got multiple motorcycles in the garage. But as I think through that affiliation, we'll have to we'll, we'll have to have a separate call about the motorcycle thing. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. I, I love talking about them. But it's like when I think about that, though, that my passion for that and it is. It is very much a lifestyle. I mean, I have the uniforms, right? The custom suits for when I can be with clients and I have all the leathers and everything else when I'm hanging out with, you know, my bike friends. But that association, when I go through that, I, I feel like I'm connecting more to the motorcycle itself, to the brand Harley. But with AOPA, you don't have a specific product. What kind of challenges does that create or have, have you seen come up as a result of that? It's less of an attachment to a product, which is a positive and a negative. Positive in a sense that we can focus on the fact that we are essentially brand agnostic. We don't care if you fly a Cessna, a Cirrus, uh, or a carbon fiber Cessna from, or some, you know, some German machine. It really doesn't matter what you fly. That We, we are the common denominator, right? Or uh, I guess I would call it non-denominational. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and and that's a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, the Really the strong asset in that is, is that if we provide a place where pilots, no matter what they fly, can, one, uh, get the right 
tools, resources, support. But more, just as importantly, a lot of our focus in the last couple of years have been on having uh, the community be a resource for itself. As, as, as long as they spend the time with each other on our turf, they're building a relationship with AOPA as, as a place of belonging. Uh, which is why a lot of times we use this you know, in marketing overplayed term, but in our case, if we, we live and breathe it, uh, a community first. You know, our, our events across the country are a big manifestation of that. Now, there's a, in, in our business, there's a, and I think in, I would argue in most businesses, there is a pent-up demand for uh, any lifestyle or, or any customer, and it doesn't matter if it's a B2B or B2C, to have a point of connection and sharing with other users of the product. Uh, and it really doesn't matter if it's cloud services uh, or if it's or if it's motorcycles. It just you know the the, con- the context changes, but the the desire of the user and the customer uh, to have a peer group uh, of support is always there because they're they're all human. We all have that uh, inherent need to learn from others and find commonality. Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the community aspect of any business is extremely powerful, especially when you look at all the digitization that happens, right? We've got all the social and everybody's got their faces in their phones. Um, you kind of start to see a little bit of a backlash at times, right? People want to connect with people. If you can give them the opportunity to do that, that can be extremely powerful for, for the business. So absolutely, when, absolutely. when you, when you started to look at, okay, you've got this diversified business and, and AOPA does a lot of things, right? But you wanted to bring internal, a marketing team that would be able to kind of be the central heartbeat for that lifestyle brand across all of these divisions. What kind of skill sets did you identify that were going to be critical? I mean, marketing's gotten more and more complicated and, and diversified, uh, especially with, you know, the advent of digital. I'm kind of curious when you started to scope out, okay, we're going to bring this team internally. We want to build this. You know, in, internally, make sure that they understand the brand, the passion, and that kind of stuff. What kind of skill sets did that, um, you know, bring to bear? Right, that's that's a good good question. And, and what we what we looked at is we we were strong at the transaction. Uh, we had a strong team here on you know, sort of the e-commerce to, that was able to swipe the credit card, <laughs> uh, as uh, so to say, or swipe the card. You know, get the, send the invoice. Uh, and then support the customer afterwards. We did not have a, a problem there. Our, you know, our customer service, uh, our support, uh, our engagement once we got the customer was fantastic. It's really before that that we were uh, flailing, especially because all the business units were kind of doing whatever, whatever they wanted. And there was a lot of inconsistency and uh, no really forethought year out what, what experience we're trying to provide in pursuit of the end sale, regardless if it's uh, to a business that's uh, buying media from us or to a consumer that's financing an aircraft with us and everything in between. Uh, and what we looked at is we were backing away, backing out of that transaction and saying, you know, where are we not doing well and require enough work uh, that we can support headcount? I guess I would, put, you know, it's really that simple. So we set aside work that was peaks and valleys and first and, first and foremost looked at where do we need much stronger bench strength and supporting the organization and meeting its leading indicators that all drive to, to revenue. Uh, and things are like uh, engagement on events, uh, online engagement, brand, web experience, and all of those things that really require somebody 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and sometimes multiple people 40, 50, 60 hours a week <laughs> to support things like uh, you know, a strong website presence, strong development of content at a cadence that the consumer expects these days. 
a production of high quality marketing materials from print to online and everything in between. You know, we, we had enough there that we were either outsourcing or frankly just not doing because we didn't have uh, enough budget to go out of house or not were enough work with all to plan for it. And we looked at, okay, where, where, the, where do we need that bench strength higher up to it and really try to get the best talent possible in here. And frankly, that, that happened about three years ago when we, when we started to build that team. And I would say we're barely halfway there. Really? Uh, part, Oh, and barely halfway there from what I would call the you know the perfect or the the ideal because one we're changing a massive organization, uh, and two as we get talent in house, we find more opportunities where we could do things better uh, because there were a lot of places where we did not have enough knowledge, expertise, and talent here. Uh, for example, from web development perspective, so as we bring expertise in, that expertise actually helps us figure out where else we we're failing. So. As much as you know, we, we restructured and built that team three years ago. Since then, we've probably made two rounds of changes. Not necessarily, you know, in in, in no way they were in like layoff rounds restructuring. They were more okay. Where do these people need to sit? Who they need to work with? And how that team is structured? We have made those. We have changed that twice now. And a lot of that is with the in, input of the teams themselves, as those experts come in and say, okay, well, this is not working. Help us change it. Uh, and really a big part of my job is making sure that I support those train changes and make sure that they get the resources and additional headcount when they need it. And so when you started this journey, when you started this process, it's a pretty big change, right? You go from having all these divisions, outsourcing with a whole bunch of agencies. Was there, you know, what was the reaction internally when, when you said to everybody, all right, we're bringing this in-house and we're going to, you know, we're going to do this. Was the organization as a whole supportive of it? Was there pushback or confusion? <laughs> So um in I'll I'll be pretty blunt here big, big piece of the we're halfway there is the fact that the rest of the organization is still learning how to work <laughs> yeah. a proper consistent marketing organization that does uh, marketing planning thinks about strategy uh, thinks about you know uh, changes watches metrics and makes on the fly changes to make sure we maxim- maximize ROI of everything we do a lot of the other 50% is really teaching the organization from the ground up how to work properly. In our world, the complexity, and, and as much as uh, I did not have much fun back then, it is much. It was much simpler when, for example, I worked on things like consumer packaged goods. Yeah, right. Because if you're, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, SC Johnson, the operations of Windex have no impact on operations of Pledge. Right. <laughs> In in our world, that's not the case. You know, our media companies were, uh, work with uh, the entire aviation industry impacts uh, uh, the results and how our insurance and finance companies can operate. They're all intertwined, and if, you know, if something happens with our advocacy team on the Hill, that might impact the regulatory environment of uh, how um, uh, our legal services plan, uh, essentially an insurance uh, product. Uh, for pilots to make sure that they have a law protect, uh, legal protection if, if they screw up. You know, all of those things are, are intertwined and any change in one uh, impacts the other. So that on its own is an argument to make sure that the team is integrated from a marketing perspective. Uh, but we took a lot of freedom away uh, from people that were used to just be able to sort of seat of the pants, uh, <laughs> commit, again, commit, commit random acts of marketing throughout the year. And teaching the rest of the organization, we're, uh, that's where we are halfway there. We have run into lots and lots of friction, lots and lots of debates. And the only thing that's making us successful in this process is the fact that 
I have been lucky enough that I have full support of my boss, the CEO of the organization, uh, and collaboration of the rest of my peers, the other six individuals that are at the charge of this organization on the different divisions to make sure that this happens. But at the level of um, all of our teams having to work together, we are still teaching them to make sure that they realize that they share goals and it's not an adversarial environment. <laughs> that 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 what's happening here is we're using experts for expert to work, expert type work. I mean, it's a pretty significant transform transformative initiative, and it's working on multiple levels. I mean, you you have to change, you know, the perception internally of the people that have done it for so long in certain ways, and you want to change that. But at the same time, you mentioned you've actually, as you've started this, you've already made changes in the people and the teams that you've brought in. So you, I mean, you're you're basically managing change on two pretty drastically different but critical tracks. That's not a easy task, I wouldn't imagine. No, and what's what's actually been making it easier now, uh, as we are, you know, let's say two and a half years or close to three years into it, is that at this, uh, you know, in la- last year, year and a half, you're, we're starting to see strong results as an outcome of a lot of the changes and the processes and the uh, the more uh, organized and strict uh, discipline around marketing of the organization. Uh, you know, we rebranded the organization. We staffed up the internal marketing team, gave them a lot more power to own and run with what they need to get done. And as a result of that, in a, uh, essentially every one of our product lines, it's exceeding its goals uh, set by the organization. We are gaining market share on most of our competitors in essentially every category that we are in, from media to insurance to finance. So that's starting to make it a lot simpler because it's harder to argue with something that works. <laughs> Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> Sorry. That, I, I've seen that so many times. Like, no, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to do this. And then six months later, it starts to generate results. You're like, no, I didn't say I didn't want to do it. I just said I didn't want to do it then. Like, I, now, <laughs> right. now I want to be a part of it. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that support that you mentioned from the CEO and the other executives, that uh, that's one of the things I run into a lot with, with clients that I work with. You know, if they want to do a sales or marketing transformation... The first thing I ask is how supported is it? And I mean really supported because without that, it's just, it's, you know, you're going to spend a lot of money. You're going to do a lot of churn, but you're not going to see the types of results. So it's great to hear that you guys have that type of organization. Yeah, and it's uh, like I said, it, it's not easy. Uh, otherwise, uh, uh, we would have done it in the first six months I was here, uh, and that would be uh, that would be obsolete a lot quicker. Uh, but <laughs> but it, it definitely would not happen at all if it wasn't for the support of. Uh, my boss and my peers. Excellent. Uh, and again, on a lot of this, uh, like I said, we not only made, built the team, we fully rebranded the organization, rebranded every one of the business units under a, uh, a consistent brand. And all of those are starting to not, you know, they they deliver, those are long-term investments, uh, especially when it comes to business-to-business sales and, ev- and, and even consumer sales. You know, brand is squishy and it's <laughs> not, you know, it's, brand is hard to measure. It's It's something you invest in and, and the only way you're going to get return is if you support it for a long period of time. And we're starting to see that, you know, bear fruit now. Uh, and it's, and it's really, really exciting to see. I, I love the branding aspect of things like you talked, you know, if you were to ask somebody, like I mentioned Harley's, but I also have, for some reason, I'm sure it goes back to my childhood. My psychiatrist would love it, but I have this thing with Coca-Cola versus Pepsi. And I don't know why, but I'm I'm a Coke guy. I'm a I'm a Coca-Cola guy. Always have been, always will be. Won't drink Pepsi. Couldn't tell you why. I don't even know if it's about the brand. And so you're dealing with a, a, you're dealing with changing an organization and going after a, a you know a 
consumer and a a people that you want in the community that have that type of emotional connection to what you're providing, uh, that creates a, creates a nice tightrope. I think that you have to walk. It's great to hear that you guys are, are seeing those types of results. Well, and it's really fun to see, and I know a lot of your audience are you know, business-to-business uh, type organizations, uh, and a big chunk of our revenue and my, as I called it, capitalist part of the organization is a business-to-business organization. But in the end, in business-to-business, you're always selling to consumers, right? Right. Every one of the people you talk to is a consumer. And it's really cool to see where uh, you know, our business-to-business customers and our, uh, the organizations in our industry and outside of our industries, uh, our industry that work with, for example, our media team, because they're seeing all, all the vibrancy uh, of us starting to walk and talk like a community, being really excited about you know, th- that it's not work for us to be in aviation. We love being in aviation. That is the coolest thing that hum- a human can do until I can buy a rocket at Walmart. <laughs> <Right. laughs> crawl into it and fly somewhere. <laughs> right. uh, so it becoming much more of a passion, excited organization about this business and about where we are and really creating this community, the brand really being a lot more vibrant and consistent, you know, that trickles even to business-to-business relationships because uh, it creates affinity with, hey, you know, this this organization is uh, is not just successful, but it's it's visible, it's vibrant, it's something that uh, a business wants to work with our organization because we come across as a place that is is going somewhere, it's progressing, it's it's making impact even altruistically in the long term. We we have uh, on the long term health of the industry. So all of those things that might seem like they are consumer plays are actually helping us tremendously, even in B2B sales. And I think that's important to highlight. Oh, without a doubt. It's funny. B2B, B2C, at the end of the day, it all comes down to people buying from people, right? And especially, I mean, you've seen all the investment in CX, you know, Apple and design. And now everybody, you know, on the consumer side, everybody talks about these awesome designed experiences, you know, make them frictionless, give the users what they want. But those are your B2B buyers. And so we're seeing in B2B sales, I see it a lot with the customers that we work with. How do you train your sales force to understand that the way you used to talk about this stuff doesn't necessarily work anymore, right? Because the, right. The people are bringing those expectations to the table uh, and you, by even calling it B2B, sometimes put yourself at a disadvantage. Uh, it's really just about connecting with people at the end of the day. Exactly, exactly. I, bef- long before AOPA, I spent a lot of time working with Harley Davidson on there customer experience and dealer uh, infrastructure. So the brand delivers the right experience at the dealer level globally. Uh, and even there, right, it, 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 it was influencing businesses we didn't own as Harley. They were independent dealers, right? Every Harley dealer is an independent. Uh, it's a business-to-business relationship, but they're delivering a, a customer experience, a brand, uh, as something that is is a lot more visceral than it is a checklist of horsepower and all the other things. Well, and I mean, have you, so did, I'm sure you probably saw the, the what do they call the ha- hashtag freedom machine? They just unveiled the 2018 models, right. right? And it was a, it was a big deal. I mean, I've, I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook, but here I am scrolling through Facebook to look for like ludicrous and all these people talking about these motorcycles. And I didn't really give a crap what ludicrous or any of the guys had to say. I want to see the bikes. I wanted to see them. <laughs> like I, that's what I was after. And then you had the guy that plays Aquaman. I don't know if you saw the video. He gets this beautiful red street bob. What's the first thing he does? He goes and gets a can of black spray paint. <laughs> spray paints the bike in the video. All right, well, way to go. Uh, sorry, totally off topic. Uh, you can tell it's a no worries. <laughs> passion of mine. Imagine your board sets a target of 20% revenue growth in 18 months. 
So something will have to change with your sales team. How do you beat your target? Value Prime Solutions can help ensure your managers and reps are leveraging a sales framework that focuses on value, not price. Don't assume you have it all figured out. Don't wait until it's too late. Visit valueprimesolutions.com and let them help. Um, so, all right. So let's talk about agency. So I've talked to a lot of executives that, you know, I've seen that over-reliance on agencies that you talk about. Uh, and I've seen it cause, you know, ups and downs, positives and, and negatives. But one of the things that I consistently see is executives wanting to bring in agencies when they need a spark of innovation, not because they're not capable of doing it internally, but because they're so inside their own forest, right? That they may not see the trees. So it's, it's one of those things like, I'm curious, and it sounds like you're doing it anyway, but I'm curious how you're doing it, keeping that innovation happening so that you're constantly, it's a constant state of evolution. I'm curious how you guys are tackling that, or are you bringing in agencies occasionally for that little spark? Right. Well, and it, you know, one, the answer is yes, we still bring in uh, sometimes individuals, not necessarily agencies, but sometimes agencies to help with that process. But uh, I will say that one of the conscious decisions that we have made and I am a huge proponent of is organizations a lot of times have a tendency to, uh, and excuse my bluntness here, leave the crap work for the internal people and give the cool work to the agencies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we see that a lot. Well, you know, then yes, you're going to get the creativity from the outside agency because they get to work on the cool stuff. Right. And you know, so our decision was that you know there's few strategic investments we're making as an organization in a few uh, what I would call blue, blue ocean spaces in aviation. There are a few travel products we're developing and a few other things that are you know massive, innovative, fun, and people want to work on. Now, because it's a isolated big investment, what I could do is take a budget large one probably, hand it to an agency and have them build it. But then one, I would have to pay the agency to teach their people to be excited about aviation. <laughs> I, would pay, I, would, I would pay them a, a significant fee to build the, uh, uh, build the product. Uh, very likely have to pay them to launch it. And they would, in the end, have all the expertise about it. Uh, and I would have a team here internally that had to do all the, uh, and again, excuse the language, all the crap work that had to go to the side to deliver the big product. That's why a lot of times it's hard to have uh, really good experts inside an organization because we forget that they want to work on cool stuff and we don't let them. Right. So giving internal people the uh, the, the tools and the resources to to work on cool stuff it is, you know, agency, and I've, I've spent many years in agencies, so I can say that agencies don't have monopoly on smart, creative people. No, but they sure want to tell you they do. I mean, oh, they, I, they love to, yeah. <laughs> I mean, three hundred dollars an hour. They'll tell you they do. Oh yeah. Hey, I spent ten years trying to convince people that we had smarter people. Exactly. Than did. Yeah, and that's not the case. I mean, if you can create the right environment, if you can create the right culture internally, and you can keep that at the forefront, then yeah, you can attract, you know, just as accomplished people as an agency is going to attract. Right, right. And you know, in in the end, we use agencies for a lot of things anyway. Uh, the one thing that I am really cognizant of is that one thing I don't want to use an agency for is develop an expertise that I have to then keep paying for for the rest of the organization's lifetime. Right. <laughs> I would rather develop that experience here. And then, yes, if we have peaks and valleys work, if we need a unique piece of expertise that we, it's not worth for us to build, build internally, uh, or it is, you know, there are some things that are difficult to keep in-house. I'm, I'm all for using agencies. It's just, uh, I think we have all seen the bad behavior of uh, uh, sometimes marketers and sales uh, sales organizations you know, farming things out to a point where 
the agency holds all the cards and all the expertise. Uh, and then, you know, one, it's a huge drain on financial resources of the organization, but I don't think it then serves the shareholder or uh, the owner the best of uh, uh, having all this uh, drive uh, be based out of an agency who um, is not necessarily responsible for your sales and revenue and all the other things. Uh, a lot of times they're responsible for a lot of the leading indicators, you know, engagement and uh, eyeballs and all these things that are important, but once they get converted to sales, they're useless. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So when you look at, at the agency, you know, kind of everything that you brought internally, I mean, you guys have a very, uh, for, for anybody who hasn't, any of the audience who hasn't picked up an AOPA publication, I highly recommend it. Even if you're not into aviation, the photography alone is stunning. But you guys have a very diverse publishing platform. You've got printed magazines and web and, uh, you know, the, the, the news show, uh, that you guys do. I'm curious how you, you know, do you have a way that you kind of guide the marketing team to look at all of the different media that they're putting out there and how you keep it consistent? I mean, I know that even with a, even with a large team, you've still got all these different outlets. I'm just kind of curious what vision you put out there is, is it leading with the passion for the lifestyle or how do you tackle that? Well, yes. So uh, the simple answer is yeah. Yes, the everything has to lead with a passion for the lifestyle. And one of the big changes for the organization was surprise, you know, uh, surprise, surprise, was to learn to talk like a human. <laughs> uh, right? Uh, because we're we're talking to people excited about flying, not lawyers and realtors. And I have nothing against lawyers and realtors, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, I had a divorce, so I don't like lawyers very much. Right? <laughs> uh, so, you know, having the organization walk and talk like an like a human, talking with a level of passion and excitement about flying and aviation as a something that people love to do, doesn't matter any any day of the week, was an important change uh, for us. But um, yes, we we rebranded to a consistent brand. But I will say that the other thing that now, has been a, an important focus for us is that the organization historically was always focused on the existing customer base. Uh, and uh, back to our parallel with Harley Davidson, and sorry that that's a echo here. We have a we have had a similar problem to Harley in terms of a uh, you know our customer base was constant and aging. Uh, so from media mix perspective and uh, how we create content. Uh, we actually do segment of how we walk and talk even our in our content and media and social media because we are now reaching out to categories and segments of customers uh, that are a little bit distinct. You know, we have launched another um, uh, quote-unquote show, uh, a video show uh, that's focused on a uh, sort of the under 40 crowd that is not going to watch a 25-minute news, news program. Right, right. Uh, so it's the, the core message and the core, core stance of those kind of things is exactly the same. It's about excitement for aviation. That's what we stand for. But how it manifests itself is really, really different depending on the segments we talk to. Uh, and uh, reaching to pilots under 40 or professional pilots or, or uh, jet owners versus uh, owners of uh, you know, uh, the Cessna 172 or light aircraft, how their connection to our business manifests itself does change. Uh, and our brand has to be flexible enough to adjust for that. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So let's, let's pivot just a little bit here and get a little bit more into the details. So when you look at, you know, the, the capitalist side of the organization, what's the largest challenge that your team is facing today in terms of, you know, achieving those, those revenue growth goals or, or membership growth goals? 
Well, and I think you actually just touched on it in the in the last question. A big challenge, or and challenge, and an opportunity, uh, as most motivational speakers <laughs> would tell you, <laughs> is is a really balancing out the fact that we have to protect the relationship we have with our core customer, which is the you know three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand uh, or so uh, existing customers that engage with us day in day out. Uh, our, our paying members, our customers of some of our companies, uh, and balance that out with the fact that uh, the new groups of customers that we have, and it's not just you know, a younger generation pilots, but it's uh, sort of the unique segments within within our aviation segment. You know, backcountry pilots that fly you know into the mountains are a very very different mi- mindset than a family with a jet flying to South America, right? It's a right. besides the fact that there's a different socioeconomic stance, the way they look at aviation is very very different. Uh, we uh, the professional pilot is very very different from them. Uh, now we have a whole other category that's drones and unmanned aerial vehicles. Uh, that is a completely different category. Now they have an overlap, but there's actually a level of animosity between the two because neither one of them wants to share the airspace. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand. Uh, so, I can understand. So, so, so they are each of them is a tremendous business opportunity for us, tremendous opportunity to grow our community. But from challenge perspective, finding a common denominator between those co- consumers so they can feel like they're part of a uh, our ecosystem, our community, part of this. So when we have an event in the, in, a, in the middle of the country that all pilots come to, that those three, four, five different groups or three, four, five different types of customers, when they sit down at the table, you know, what's their common denominator? And finding those common denominators so the organization can stand for something that appeals to all the, our entire category uh, is, is, is our biggest challenge. And again, to, in, to flip it, an opportunity. Yeah, without a doubt. But then, so then you've got the B2B side where you have, uh, sales guys that now have to talk, you know, if they've been there a while. And I, I don't know the average age of your, of your sales team, but they, they now have to talk about a lifestyle. And you mentioned you touched on it a little bit, but I'm curious, have you had to find ways to help them understand how to sell differently in order to support that lifestyle approach? Absolutely. And, um, we actually uh, uh, rebuilt one of our sales organizations uh, was actually fully outsourced, and we insourced that as well. Uh, so you didn't on the, bring on the meet- us all of the marketing in. You brought all of this at the same time. Uh, well, it might be six months apart. Holy cow! <laughs> Sorry, it just caught me off. Uh, that's a hell of no, a. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, and that was for for the, on the media side. Uh, so bringing the, the, that helped uh, because we actually staffed that up, so we had to we could bring in. Uh, kind of the right profile individual, but uh, that doesn't change the fact that a lot of our uh, sales, business development, and industry-facing folks uh, are still having to learn how to walk and talk. One, as human beings, you know, talk <laughs> talk talk like ones that are excited about aviation first, and not 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 just talk about uh, you know uh, like a legislative affairs kind of person. Right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and of course, understands all uh, understand all those new se- segments. That is still a challenge for us. Big piece of it is that um, you know, as as budgets always get tighter in every part of the organization, I think everybody can probably uh, commiserate with that. Uh, the one thing that uh, I've always protected and been uh, really uh, strong on is that the sales team and the business development teams always have enough travel budget, not just go uh, and. Uh, just budget in general, to not just engage with their existing customers and prospects, but to actually engage with the rest of the organization, to spend time here at the headquarters, to go to fly-ins where our consumer customer is uh, and engage with them. 
for in, in a sense, inject them into the lifestyle so they feel like a part of it. So they're not just selling the product because they one that actually helps us to your point, educate them better about the different segments of consumer that we represent. Uh, but I think it also makes them just better at being creative because no product or very few products are stagnant. So they help us tailor, for example, from media perspective, the product knowing uh, how, our, how our consumers behave that our business to business customers wants, want access to. Right. Right. Uh, so giving them a leeway to be part of the lifestyle not just spend 100% of their time on hard sales is is a big piece of making sure that they're neck deep in this business. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, let's let's change direction just a little bit here. I want to be respectful of time. When we get to the end, I ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. And the first, as a chief marketing officer at a very large uh, and global organization, that also makes you a target. For salespeople. And so I'm curious, <laughs> we like to help our audience understand, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, debate on cold calling's dead or social selling is the answer. I like to ask executives like yourself, what is it that gets your attention or would inspire you to engage with someone that you didn't already have a relationship with? What would be the best way to get in front of you and, and talk to you about potentially solving uh, challenges you may be facing? Right. So I, th I think there, there are two points I'll make here. One, that I cannot believe that in the age of the Internet, we, I see that seems like every other day, is uh, business development and, and sales folks not doing their homework. Right. You know, they'll reach out to me or reach out to me via somebody here at the organization, and they make blatant mistakes that could be corrected with one Google search about understanding what our business does or what I do or what we're looking, what we need or what our, where our organization is going. That simple five-minute preparation, uh, if, if there are blatant mistakes that could be corrected with one Google search, uh, I will very likely ignore that call no matter what, no matter what it's selling. Right. Because uh, it's, it's telling me that that person just wants to pitch, not doesn't want to understand how that product fits my business. Right. The other one, and we did touch on that earlier, is talk like a human. Right. If, if I get a pitch that's overstuffed with buzzwords or oh, the latest and greatest buzzwords that you find uh, on a cover of Ad Age or some other magazine, <laughs> um, big data and everything that flowers out of it, <laughs> in the end, just talk like a human. It's, it's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's funny, and you're right. I mean, a lot of the things that we hear when we ask this question is a lot of us would say sitting back, much like, you know, pie and ice cream, can be, if you think about it, are common sense. But it's it's weird to me that salespeople and some marketers just have this tendency to get so wrapped up in, you know, drinking their own Kool-Aid of products and features and big trends that they forget you're really talking to a human being, right? You need to be able right. to make that that connection. Right. Excellent. Right on. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing, right? It's cute. There's a little, I do have a little bit of a marketing background. I don't know if that's cool or not, but that's what we went with. So All right. we call it the acceleration insight. So if you had one piece of advice that you could give to sales, marketing, professional services people that you believed would actually help them beat their targets, uh, what would that advice be? Well, so... The one that I kind of, and maybe it's back to uh, uh, our friendly pie and ice cream, but uh, the one thing that I see even my team sometimes do, and I, I'm, I'm just as guilty of it, is, you know, a lot of times when sales are not there, or we are, we need, we are trying to beat or exceed our goals when it comes to revenue, 
we get really, really focused, okay, what are we doing wrong in the sales pitch? What are we doing wrong in presentation of our case or product? And I would say close to half the time, the problem is actually much earlier in the process. If the, if the sales are failing, half the time it seems like we're actually failing somewhere completely different than it's actually in the sales process. We have failed six months earlier in positioning the product. We have failed in what the product actually is in the first place. Uh, or we have failed in communicating about our brand to the right people. We're just selling it to the wrong people in the first place. It's not a wrong pitch. It's being pitched to the wrong, wrong individuals. Uh, and you know, not being so laser focused on it, it has to be the sales pitch that's wrong. <laughs> and being being open to the fact that there might be other things you're failing at if the sales are not there. There might be a, lead, a leading indicator to, uh, <laughs> to, to unfortunately use a buzzword. That's a better uh, thing to address first. It may, uh, if that might be the one, is you know, be be cognizant of the fact that if the sales are not there, you might actually be failing elsewhere than sales. So sales isn't isolated, right? There's a lot of other factors that play into the success of sales. So be be right. cognizant of that. Excellent. Right, and that's another you know, that's another reason why sales couldn't and shouldn't be a separate organization. They need to be a they need to live within uh, within the brand, within the organization, within the lifestyle really understand a lot more than it than the sales sheet and the data sheet of the product and again it doesn't matter if it's cloud services you're selling uh, or airplanes or whatever and anything in between and the sales team being entrenched in the organization uh, and a lot more involved than just selling to the, the customer it, it is really important Excellent. So you can you can you, you can get by with a good pitch for a while but I think if the salespeople <laughs> don't feel like uh, they're they're part of the business. At some point, that 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 valve is going to break. Yeah, I'm without a doubt. I mean, you want them, especially in lifestyle, but like I said, it affects everything. You want them to feel like part of the company because you don't want them just selling products and features, right? You want them connecting with people in order to do that and delivering that passion. They've got to right be out of the essence of it, right? I couldn't agree you're right. more. Right? Uh, yeah, you're, you're, if you're hardly a sales guy, walked up to you in a suit. Yeah, no, not happening. <laughs> yeah, not exactly on, the, on lifestyle, is it? Yeah, no, I'd be like, hey, man, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> Sorry, I'm here for a motorcycle, not insurance. Yeah, right. I'm not looking. To, I'm not looking for life insurance. I'm looking for the bike. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much for this. This has been great. If a listener wanted to get into touch with you uh, to talk more about these uh, topics or learn more about AOPA, what would be the best way for them to go about that? Uh, the best, uh, probably drop me an email. That uh, would be uh, J-I-R-I dot M-A-R-O-U-S-E-K at A-O-P-A dot org. Excellent. Excellent. I can't thank you enough for the time today. This has been great. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Same here. Thanks much and uh, have fun writing. <laughs> All right, everyone. That does it for this episode. Please check us out at B2BRevExec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. And of course, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes. We do use those to craft the content and figure out what guests you guys want to hear from. Uh, again, thanks everybody for the time. And until next time, we have Value Prime Solutions. Wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.